There is power in only one. One picture captures a moment. One tree begins a forest. One bird signals spring. One star guides a ship. One smile can begin a friendship. One candle dispels darkness. One sunbeam can light a room. One step begins a journey. One word begins a prayer. One hug shows compassion. And only one word can mend a relationship. There really is power in one. Before Christmas, uh, I took several Sundays to look at at books of the Bible that I've never preached from on a Sunday morning as your pastor in th through these years, and maybe we've talked about them on Wednesday night, but never on a Sunday morning. And, and so I started looking at some of those, Song of Solomon one Sunday, and Jude, 2 John, 3 John, Joel, uh, Haggai, Lamentations, Ezra. And this morning we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Esther. It's a fascinating book, and Esther, more than any other book, shows us the power of only one person. Just one. Read with me chapter 4, starting in verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This morning, I want us to look at the story of Esther. Our curtain rises this morning. It's 483 years before Christ. 483 B.C., the world power is Persia. We know it today as Iran. It's Persia. They have a vast kingdom all the way from Ethiopia in the south up to, to India, 180. 27 provinces, all Persia. God's people, the Israelites, are captive in bondage to the Persians. Let's focus in on one family. One family of Jews, dad's name's Abiahel, we don't know the mom's name, but they have one little girl, she's a beautiful little girl, and they named her Hadassah, which means myrtle tree sometime we don't know how it happened or what happened but Abiahel and his wife were killed 
And they left Hadassah an orphan. Now, some theologians believe maybe Abihel and his wife were killed whenever the Israelites were captured and taken away to captivity. That's possible. But something happened where mom and dad dies and Hadassah is left as an orphan and there's nobody to raise her. She has one distant cousin. His name's Mordecai. He's maybe about 20 years older than, than Hadassah. And so he begins to raise this beautiful little girl. Whenever she gets to be a late teen, 18, 19 years old most likely, some believe she was kidnapped away from Mordecai. We don't know how she got there, but the king's harem grabbed her and took her so she would be one of the king's girls or one in the harem. King was Xerxes, X-E-R-X-E-S, Ahasuerus, or better known as Xerxes. And, and Xerxes was a, a king who loved to have beautiful women around. And so he had a harem there in the palace, and Hadassah was captured, taken to be one of the harem. And they renamed her from Hadassah to the name of a Babylonian god, Ishtar. They named her Esther, which meant star. Now, Xerxes was an interesting man. He was the king over the Persian kingdom. He was an interesting man. He, he had a vast kingdom and a lot of wealth, and he loved to show off the wealth. And so on one particular occasion, he invited dignitaries from other countries, from all 127 provinces of his, all to the capital in Susa, to the, to the kingdom where they could come and have a party where he could show off all of his pomp and splendor of the kingdom. And they had a party, and it lasted six months, 180 days. Drunken party for 180 days. Now, some of the ancients, especially the Persians, felt like whenever you got drunk, you were closer to the gods, that's what they said. That whenever you were intoxicated, you were closer to the gods. And so they just stayed drunk for six months. Finally, the last week of the party came, the last seven days, and he told all the guests, on the last day of this six-month feast, I have a special surprise for you. Oh, it's a treat. They were ready. And here is the treat. He was going to have his wife, the queen, Vashti, parade in front of all of the guests so they could see her exquisite beauty. That was the prize. Well, the time came. Vashti, would you enter the party? And Vashti, by now she had had enough of Xerxes, and she refused. I'm not going out there. He was embarrassed. He was angry. And he deposed Vashti as the queen, and he said, that's it, no more, she's not a queen. From now on, I am searching for a new queen. And we're going to have a month-long beauty contest, or rather, a year-long beauty contest, a year-long beauty contest, and the woman I select will be the new queen. Well, Esther, it's beautiful, she had a shot. Chapter 2, verse 7 said she had stunning beauty. 
She had a beautiful figure, verse 7 says. She was stunning to look at. And she had a shot. So one of the servants by the name of Haggai, he took special interest in Esther, and he said, Esther, we're going to get you ready to win the beauty contest. We have a year to do it. And so they, for a year she had a special diet where she ate only certain foods. They, they, for a year, Haggai used different kinds of perfumes, different kinds of cosmetics, different kinds of oils on her body so it looks just perfect when the time comes. And for one year, they go through this. And finally the time came, and Esther walked before King Xerxes, and he looked at her and immediately fell in love and said, That's it! Esther is the new queen. And they put a crown on her. They held a banquet. She's the new queen. And you know, folks, I believe we can draw from this that there are times God places us exactly where he wants us to be so we can make the greatest impact for the kingdom. You may be there right now. You may not like where you are right now in life. You may say, I don't like this job. I don't like where I live. I don't like my circumstances. I'm going through chemo. I don't like where I am. But folks, God may have you exactly right now at the place you can make the greatest impact for the kingdom. He does that. He did Esther. She's the queen. Go to letter B on your outline, chapter 2, opposition, rather chapter 3, opposition, begins to arise. One night, soon after Esther was crowned the queen, Mordecai, I remember her cousin who was raising her, he was Jewish, obviously, and he was sitting beside the king's gate. Now, the king's gate was where the king would come in every day and all of his entourage, and everyone would bow as the king and his entourage would enter. Well, Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate one night, and he hears a conversation. The conversation is between two guards, and the guards are talking about assassinating King Xerxes. There's a plan being hatched. The two guards, their names were Teresh and Big Tana. So they're talking, and Mordecai hears them. Mordecai went to Esther and said, someone's planning to kill the king. Esther went to the king Xerxes. Xerxes checked it out. Sure enough, there was a plot, and he executed Big Tana and Teresh, and he thanked Mordecai for saving his life. Now, hold that in your mind. It's going to come back to play in just a moment. Enter the character of another person into the story. A man by the name of Haman. H-A-M-A-N. Haman was the right-hand man first in charge to King Xerxes. Haman was arrogant, cocky, proud, wealthy, and he loved to be the center of attention. And something bothered Haman. 
Every day when he would ride through the king's gate to go into the courts of the palace, every day he demanded everyone there as he rode by on his horse to bow down to him, but one man wouldn't bow. His name was Mordecai, who raised Esther. And Haman said, why aren't you bowing? He says, I don't bow to anybody but Yahweh. And he's the only one who didn't. And it infuriated Haman every day. Every day as Haman would ride in, Mordecai would stand up proud, and Haman would seethe at Mordecai. And finally, one day he rode by, and in his mind he thought, I'm going to kill that Jew. And then he got to thinking, why don't I just kill all the Jews? Why don't I? I mean, that's his nationality. That's his ethnicity. I'm going to kill them all. There were Jews scattered all over the 127 provinces. There were Jews everywhere. But Esther did not let anybody know she was a Jew. Mordecai had told her whenever she became queen, Esther, don't you tell anybody you're Jewish. Our people are hated among the other nations around us. It could be dangerous if anybody found out you're a Jew. So Haman did not know the queen is Jewish. And he hatched a plan. I'm going to go to Xerxes, convince him the Jews are his enemy, and he'll let me exterminate them. Yes, a holocaust. Haman was going to be the first Hitler. So he got the plan together. He rode into the palace. Mordecai didn't bow. Haman was angry. Rode into the palace and he said, Oh, Majesty, um, I have a request. What? Your Honor, there is a group of people among us. They're really odd. They have odd ways. They're just weird. They speak funny. They have these funny customs. They, they bow only to this Yahweh. And king, they're, they're trying to overthrow your kingdom. They don't like you. We need, to get, we need to get rid of them. And Xerxes said, really? Yeah. Well, do it. Good. So Haman made a decree, printed it, posted it in every one of the 127 provinces, and he said this, On the 13th day of the month of Adar, which was the day before Passover, the Jews observed, on the 13th day of the month of Adar, every Jew in the kingdom will be exterminated, killed. And he said, King, I'll pay for it myself. 375 tons of silver I'll deposit in the national treasury. King said, fine. I'll even pay for the killing myself. So there you go. The decree's out. Jews will all be killed. Go to letter C on your outline. God's purpose for one, chapter 4. When the Jews found out about the decree, they panicked, obviously. They have just a few days before the 13th day of Adar. 
They panicked. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they began to weep and wail in the streets. And Mordecai, Mordecai went to Esther. He says, Esther, you've got to do something. She said, what? I can't do anything. He said, you're the queen. She said, it doesn't mean anything. I don't have any more access to the king than anyone else does. And you probably know yourself, Mordecai, but there's a law that if you approach the king without his invitation, I'm executed. I don't care if I'm a queen or not. I haven't seen him in 30 days myself. I can't go to him and tell him I'm Jewish. He'll kill me on the spot. Mordecai, I'm afraid. He said, Esther, you're our only hope. You're our only hope on the 13th day of this month. We're gone. You're our only hope. And if you for one minute think because you're the queen and you're Jewish you're going to be spared, you're wrong. Esther, maybe. Have you ever thought, just maybe, God has put you in this position for such a time as now? This is a great question. So let me ask you, maybe you are right now where God wants you to be for such a time as now. You're the one. You're the one to speak up. You're the one to share your faith. You're the one to talk about your faith. In the midst of a culture that's sometimes anti-God, you're the one. For such a time as now. Esther finally said, okay, Mordecai. But I'm not going to the king without God's power, so here's what I want you to do. For three days, I want you to fast. Fast and pray for three days. Get everybody you know, all the Jews you know, to fast and pray for three days. I will fast and pray for three days myself. At the end of those three days, I'll go to the king. I'll tell him I'm Jewish. I'll ask him to save our people. And if I perish, I perish. He said, good. Well, at the end of three days, Esther put on her royal robes, put on the best cosmetics, wanted to please the king. She appeared before the king. She walked in front of his throne, and he saw her, and he was taken by her, and he extended his golden scepter Whenever he did that, that meant there was an invitation there. You can come see the king. He extended his golden scepter. So Esther walked over and she tapped the top of the golden scepter, which meant, I have a request of you, king. He said, what is it? She said, I would like a meeting with you. Sure. I'd like for three of us to meet. You, me, and Haman. You're first in charge. Sure. Let's have a banquet. Sure. So he ordered the food brought in, ordered the drinks brought in. And so they sit down to have the banquet. They eat, they drink, and the king turned to Esther and said, So, what is your request? 
And Esther lost her courage and said, Tomorrow night, I'll tell you, can we meet again for dinner tomorrow night again? I'll even prepare it. Fine. Tomorrow night it is. So they left. And Esther said, tomorrow night, king, I want to honor someone. Sure. So they left. Hey, man, thought, it's me. She wants to honor me. This is marvelous. Not only am I first in charge, the king and the queen have invited me to a banquet because they want to honor me. Life is good. And so he got on his horse, and he was going to ride home. And as he rode home, everyone bowed down except Mordecai. And he looked at him and went, He was angry at Mordecai, and he kept going. He went to his house, turned to his wife, Zeresh, and he said, Honey, guess what? I'm going to be honored tomorrow night by the king and the queen. She said, You are? That's wonderful, honey. I know. I'm such a wonderful man. I have all this wealth and honor and glory, and now they want to extend it. Oh, it's good to be me. And his wife said, honey, just enjoy it. He said, well, I can't. Why? It's that Mordecai. He's just under my skin. Every time I ride by, he stands up proudly. He won't bow. I, I hate Mordecai. His wife said, kill him. I guess I could. You're first in charge. Kill him. That's not a bad idea. How should I do it? Hang him? Okay. Now, hanging in those days, not as we know, like a plat wooden platform, and they put a noose around your neck. How they would hang in those days, it goes back to the Assyrians, in a large wooden pole, and they impaled you up on the pole, and so your body would hang impaled on the pole. So he thought, I'll build the gallows tonight. And in the morning, I'll go to Xerxes and ask for permission to kill Mordecai. Simple. And I can enjoy my honor. That's a great idea, honey. So he got his servants together, and that night they erected a pole 65 to 75 feet high. 50 cubits is what the Bible says. That's almost seven stories. That's higher than the palace. So they erect this pole to impale Mordecai the next morning. Now shift scenes over to the palace. The king Xerxes in the night can't sleep. He tosses and he turns and he walks the floor and he paces and he can't get to sleep. And so he decided to get up. He kept a daily journal of his activities. So he decided to flip through the pages of his journal just to kind of Amuse himself so he can go to sleep. And as he's flipping through the pages of the journal, he notices the time whenever Mordecai discovered the plot to assassinate him. And he got to thinking, did I ever honor Mordecai for that? I thanked him for it, but I, did I ever give him anything as an honor for saving my life? I, I can't remember if I did or not. Huh. It was nice of him. I think I'll ask my servants tomorrow when I get there if we've honored Mordecai. If we're not, we, we need to. He went to sleep. Next morning, Xerxes arrives in the palace. 
he turns to the servants and said, uh, by the way, do you remember a few months ago whenever, whenever uh, uh, Mordecai saved my life and uncovered the plot to assassinate me? Oh, yes, we remember that, king. Did we ever honor him in any way? They said, no, I don't think we did it. You thanked him, but you didn't honor him. Okay, we didn't honor him. And about that time, Haman walked in to ask permission of the king to impale Mordecai. So he walks in, and the king is thinking about Mordecai's honor, and he sees Haman. He goes, hey, man, come here, I have a question for you. And Haman walked up, and the king said, let's imagine that I want to honor somebody. And Haman went, oh, wow, okay, well, okay. Let's imagine that I want to honor somebody. What would be a good honor to give them? Haman thought it was him. He said, hmm, what would be a good honor? Oh, king, I know, this would be perfect. Why don't you let him wear your royal robes? Just once. Okay. And why don't you let him wear your royal crown? Just once. Okay. And why don't you let him ride your royal horse? Just once. Okay. And why don't you have someone lead him, lead the horse while he's sitting on it around town proclaiming, this is the king's honor, this is the king's marshal, everyone bow. Okay, and Haman's thinking, I'll have Mordecai lead the horse. And Xerxes said, well, that sounds, that's a great idea. Here, go get it, go get it ready. Go get my robes, go get my crown, go get my horse. Don't, don't, any detail that you just exactly like you said, do it exactly like you said. That's a great idea. Okay, I'm headed off. He said, oh, by the way, man, the one I want to honor is Mordecai the Jew. And hey, man, stop. What? Mordecai. Not me. Oh, no, no. Mordecai. So Haman went and got the robes and put it on Mordecai. Crown, put it on Mordecai. Got him on the horse. And Haman's the one leading the horse around town going, Hail the king! <laughs> Everybody honor the one the king honors. And he was humiliated. And the Bible said that he ran, after that it was over with, ran to his house, buried his face. The city was laughing at Haman. Buried his face and hid it for the rest of the afternoon. And that evening, a knock came on the door. It was the king's guards. He said, Haman, hey it's time for the banquet. You and the king and the queen. And so he went to the banquet, just the three of them. They ate, they drank, and Xerxes said, uh, Queen, didn't you have a question for me? She said, I do. Your Honor, I'm Jewish. Gasps. And there's a decree that me and my people should be killed. Your Honor, 
My people have been sold. They've been destroyed. They've been massacred. They've been put into slavery. We've had a hard lot. And your majesty, I, I wouldn't bother you with this right now, except that there is a decree to kill everyone that's Jewish in the whole kingdom. And, and I'm Jewish, and I'm asking you to save my life and save my people. And the king said, kill you? Who would do that? What monster would do that? She said, well... Your majesty, he's an evil man. He's an enemy. He's an adversary. His name is Haman. And the king was furious. What? You're wanting to kill my wife? And in fury, he rose up and ran out to his garden. The king did. And Haman, his face is what? And he bows before the queen. He says, oh, queen, please, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll revoke this. I, I, I'm so sorry. And he walked back in, or Xerxes did, sees Haman at the foot of his wife, thinking he's trying to come on to his wife, and he gets furious. What should I do with you? And there's a servant named Har Harbona over there, and he goes, well, king, there's a, there's a gallows over there somebody made last night. I don't know. <laughs> you could execute him. Yes! And so they took Haman and impaled him upon his own gallows and killed him that were designed for Mordecai. And Esther fell before Xerxes and she said, Your Majesty, thank you, but that doesn't lift the decree. My people are still going to die on the 13th day of Adar. And he said, Well, Esther, everything Haman had is yours. You're now first in charge. And, and Mordecai, here, here's my signet ring. Every, anything that you affix my seal to will be done. And he said, I'm, I'm going to go to all the decrees and affix your signet that it's canceled. The decrees cancel and all the Jews will live. And Xerxes says, great, I want you to do that. And I want you to exalt the Jews among the kingdom. And they were all exalted. And the power and position of only one woman saved an entire generation, an entire people. She single-handedly stopped the first Holocaust. Now, the book of Esther is unique in three ways. It's the only book of the Bible that takes place entirely inside the king's castle of a foreign king. Number two, it's the only book of the Bible that the name God is not mentioned. You'll not see God mentioned anywhere in Esther. Now, he's at work. His name's not mentioned. And number three, it's the only book of the Bible where the heroine is a woman. And she's the one who single-handedly acts to save the people. Now, the Jews still remember this story. Uh, this story is famous in the Jewish kingdom. In fact, they celebrate the story once a year. It's a feast called Purim, P-U-R-I-M, and they celebrate it on the 13th day of Adar, the day they were to be killed, to this year that corresponds to March the 6th. 
So March the 6th at sunset until March the 7th at sunset, they're going to celebrate Purim in every Jewish synagogue in the world. They will read all 10 chapters of the story of Esther. And it's a very festive occasion in the synagogues. In fact, as they're reading it, every time the name Mordecai is mentioned, everyone cheers Mordecai in the crowd. And every time Haman is mentioned, everybody boos. Still a powerful story because the Jews are reminded how God used one person to save them. You know, all through history, there has been the power of one. By only one vote, Oliver Cromwell controlled England in 1645. By only one vote in 1776, Americans speak English rather than German. One vote. By only one vote in 1845, Texas became a U.S. state. One vote. By only one vote, Andrew Johnson was saved from impeachment in 1868. By only one vote, France became a republic rather than a monarchy in 1875. And by only one vote did Rutherford B. Hayes become president in 1876. And by only one vote, one vote did Hitler control the Nazi party in 1923. Power in one. Look at all the contributions of one. Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Brahm, Beethoven. You keep going. Look how the axis of power or the tide of culture changes by one person, one invention, one military battle, one artist, one scientist, one explorer, one technology expert, and everything changes. One. And look at our faith. Look at the impact of one. Augustine, John Bunyan, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham. One entire generation reached. And you're going, I'm the only one. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian at work. I'm the only Christian at school. I'm the only one. I can't do much. No. You're one. And who knows, you may be put there for such a time as now. Speak up. You're one.